On the block, on demand. They don't know about the Kumbaya meetings we had this week. I may have some news for you in a moment. Without Jerry McNamara, we would have won 10 games this year. Continue standing by. Okay, not 10. 25-footer, yes! Off the glass and in! An assassin, Stone Cold! Somebody in Vegas told him they were going to win my 20! The Bills make me want to Taylor, going to take a shot, throwing in zone, he's got weapons, touchdown! champions this is on the block here is your host brent axe ah d air here on espn radio 97.7 100.1 espn radio Utica, Rome. Oh, what's happening, Mohawk Valley? Great to have you on board. Uh, you can listen online. We do have the internet on computers now, ESPNSyracuse.com. The ESPN app is another fantastic way to keep in touch with the show. Download the app, hit the Listen tab, find ESPN Syracuse, and away you go. Off to magical audio worlds, my friend. I said friend. There's only one person listening to this show. Hi, Mom. 437-7644. That's the phone number. Brent Dax Media on Twitter. The text line is 288-0644 if you'd like to get in touch with the program. It's a football Friday. We got the pick six. We got the NFL Blitz. We got all the football festivities you need heading into the weekend. We will certainly talk some Syracuse football. We will talk some NFL football. Not only break down the games, but... Man, Don Van Nata and Seth Wickerstam from ESPN are killing it on the behind-the-scenes drama that is happening between one Jerry Jones and Roger Goodell, a brewing civil war in the NFL. Jerry thinks he runs the NFL. He's trying to deny Roger Goodell his contract extension and the pettiness and the ego and the arrogance and the greed and everything you would think that exists in the NFL, Don Van Nata and Seth Wickerstam are just doing an incredible job of opening us up to see what really happens behind the scenes. It is it it is Pulitzer Prize worthy stuff. It really is. It's amazing. So we'll discuss that a little bit today. Set you up for the football weekend. Hot takes as usual. So uh, hey, it's Friday. Let's head into the weekend strong. Let's do this thing. We've got a very interesting weekend of Syracuse sports coming up. I was just on uh, with our friends at ESPN Radio in Louisville before uh, coming on, you know, my own show. And with Mark Ennis and the crew down there, and uh, we had Bob Velvano on yesterday from that same radio station, and we discussed this a little bit, but I just kind of got a latest weather update via those guys when we were discussing it on the show. So it just brings to mind a question here about what Syracuse's biggest problem is going to be tomorrow. Will it be Lamar Jackson, who is a handful in and of himself, one of the hardest players to defend in college football, and certainly very hard to defend for a team that had John Wolford come up just a yard shy of 500 total yards a week ago for Wake Forest. John Wolford is a very good quarterback. He is on a roll. He has been torching a number of teams, including, by the way, Louisville. Lamar Jackson's Lamar Jackson. Okay, 
as I've said through the week, Lamar Jackson's good. He's going to get his, as Dino Baber said on this show yesterday, this just in, he's really good. But you cannot turn him into this, you know, mythical figure that is impossible to tackle or stop or intercept passes or fluster. Because Louisville's offensive and defensive lines, where it counts, and the reason that they have just stumbled over the finish line to get to six wins, somewhere where Syracuse wants to be. So, yes, a better team, and a team that Syracuse, if they do defeat tomorrow, it will be considered an upset. But I don't know where their frame of mind is. They were supposed to have a much better season than this. They've only won six games. If they win out, okay, yeah, they'll have a decent season. But their offensive and defensive lines are, how can I put this, struggling to be kind? There's opportunity there. There's opportunity for Syracuse to take advantage of the weather. Two teams have to play in this weather, and what the weather is, if you haven't been uh, following the forecasts in Louisville. So about an hour or so before kickoff, kickoff is set for 3.30, somewhere in kind of that 1-3 to window, a storm is going to arrive. With driving rain, again, this is all, you know, forecasts and, you know, smarter people than I that have you know, meteorology degrees and, you know, that's what they're saying down there. So just kind of no going in. But they're saying driving rain, steady wind with gusts up to 50 miles per hour. So it's going to be ugly. This is, you know, big green blobs on the radar type of stuff, right? You get me really, we should get our boy Wayne Mahar on here because the more you let me fall into this weather trap, the worse it's going to get. But all the forecasts, all the talk down there is, it going to rain about that. So who does this favor? Well, last night, a little surprise on the injury list for Syracuse because Eric Dungy we know is questionable. Eric Dungy we know is more than likely not going to play in this game. And Dino told us yesterday they're going to go through the pregame routine. They're going to see... What's happening there, so if he can play, great, but I think we all know he's nowhere near at full capability of not only what they need him to do generally, but what need him to do in this game with the wind howling and the, and the passing game may be affected here. Eric Dungy is an explosive running threat and can get you those 15- to 20-yard chunk plays and takes what the defense gives him and has been very good at, you know, except when he's challenging Miami defenders to Mortal Kombat moves, he's, for the most part, done a spectacular job balancing the run game with the pass game. Asking Eric Dungy to do that on a broken foot injury of some sort is not an easy task. Okay. Did you see who else is questionable on the injury report? Oh, that'd be Dante Strickland. Whoa. Okay. Well, in a game where the wind's going to be howling, the passing game could be effective, Zach Mahoney, you know, can make some throws, but can't make all the throws and can't make the throws you need him to make that Eric Dungy can, as we talked about with Dino yesterday. Well, you want to run the football. Dante Strickland, is he is listed as questionable, so he's not 100%, even if he plays. And, yeah, I get it. Nobody's 100%, air quotes, this time of the year. Everybody's banged up. Everybody's injured in some sort, but... If you're put as questionable on the injury list, you've got an injury. You, something's not, you know, you're a game-time decision. Oh. Well, I feel bad for somebody who picked Syracuse to win this game. Woo! That, what's that? That, that was me. That's the only one who 
picked Syracuse to win and the Syracuse.com predictions yesterday. So, I look, I I told you. I told you. The guy is drunk. I don't know, maybe. I told you on the show yesterday that I am here on this island by myself. It's very lonely. You know the old adage of, what would you bring to a desert island? You know, like, I didn't bring any of those things. I'm just sitting here by myself waiting for the game and hearing more and more about how unlikely it'll be that Syracuse wins this game, or at least the things that go to their advantage are going to affect this football game. So why can't I get it out of my gut that they're going to win this game? Then I look at weather.com and I'm like, can I pull a Ferris Bueller here and like hack Syracuse.com and change my pick? It was in the newspaper too, though, so that that would matter and I you heard nobody listens to this show right I said it yesterday that Syracuse is going to win nobody was listening to that I'm, I'm changing my pick I'm, I'm I don't know what you people are talking about I've been saying Louisville all along <sighs> no I'm not backing off I'm not backing off I'm going to stick with it I'm going to say they're going to win I'm, they're going to just going to find a way Lamar Jackson might have another Heisman Trophy-esque performance but I, I just I think they're going to find a way the weather, though, is putting a real twist in the conversation here. Can Louisville run the football beyond Lamar Jackson? Well, that's a good question because their offensive line stinks. Reggie Bonifon's a great running back, but you need an offensive line to run the football. They don't have one. Their defense is a sieve, it, and it has been all year. So there's opportunity here, even for Zach Mahoney, to make plays on the offensive front, which he did last week against a better defense. Wake Forest defense is better than Louisville. And Zach Mahoney dropped 43 points on that defense. This is a defense that is wounded and has a lot of, you know, has to find some pride and has a lot to play for here to show that last week was the anomaly in a year where otherwise you had not lost by more than 10 points. On the basketball front, Texas Southern, I don't know if you saw this last night, Gave Ohio State, for what it's worth, a little bit of a push. Ohio State ended up pulling away and winning that game, but Texas Southern made a big run in the second half, and at one point, that was a two-point game, uh, 59-57. And then, you know, Ohio State, as you would expect, kind of put the clamps down and pulled away. So Syracuse coming off a tournament team in Iona, who had a great player in Ricky McGill and needed a, you know, really a bailout from Tyus Battle in the second half, amongst other things that let them win that game, is going to get another team that has seen tournament, a tournament bid, pardon me, in recent years, that, you know, look, hottest fire makes the strongest steel. If that applies, you got to give Texas Southern credit. As we discussed with Coach Beheim yesterday, 13 straight games to start on the road. They don't play, I'm not making this up, they don't play a home basketball game until next year. Now that's New Year's Day. But they do not play. But what an investment season tickets must be at Texas Southern because they don't play a home game till 2018. They've played Gonzaga. They've played Ohio State. Now they're coming in playing Syracuse. So they will not be at all intimidated by Syracuse, by the Dome, by the name brand, by anything. And they did give Ohio State, they had to go on a 24-8 run to do it. But they're coming in with a little confidence. So we'll see if Syracuse can take care of business there. Tomorrow it's a full day. 
for SU fans. You got football that'll lead right into basketball. Busy Saturday for SU fans. So we will discuss that a little bit more throughout the program. Hot takes, football weekend, so much to do. NFL blitz. I always tell you people, don't bet on sports, but you do anyway. So I will uh, do the best I can to help you out. At first glance, this college football weekend is not that impressive. But as I have warned you many times, never underestimate college football. Never underestimate what a college football weekend can bring you. And and last week was the sexy week. We had all the top 25 matchups, three games in the top 10. It was one of those, you know, big, like, kind of put a title on it, separation weekend, something like that. There's only one game between ranked teams this week. This is kind of that week where, you know, Alabama and a lot of these teams kind of feast on patsies before the, the big rivalry games next week. But never underestimate what a college football weekend can bring you. So we'll, we'll set that up for you. We'll talk some NFL, set that up for you. And, uh, hey, it's Friday. Whatever you want to talk about heading into the weekend, let's do it. 437-7644 on the phones. Let's take a, a call or two before we take a break here because we've got Stephen North Syracuse ready to go. Steve, how are you, man? I'm fine. Uh, I thought I'd relate something that was said on uh, uh, Coach Baber's show last night that I think we ought to uh, make a note of here. Uh, I, uh, I, I I called in and I, I, I told him that uh, watching the Wake Forest game, it looked like Syracuse playing a better excuse. And it occurred to me that, uh, well, both uh, Coach Babers and Coach Clawson of Wake Forest had come from Bowling Green. Coach Clawson had gone there two years before Dino came here. And he said two more years to build up the program. And a lot of what we were seeing was juniors and seniors taking on freshmen and sophomores. Uh, But I uh, suggested to Coach Babers that maybe watching uh, Wake Forest in that game, we had a vision of what Syracuse could be like in a couple of years. His response was uh, uh, extremely humbly, I'll tell you that I would like to think we would be better than Wake in two years. And he talked about how Coach Clawson likes to build a program slowly uh, on the back end with, with red shirts so that he has a good team when his players become juniors and seniors. But uh, Dino doesn't think that's fair to the juniors and seniors he has now. He wants to win every game now. Uh, but I, I, I sort of marvel to the coach that he expects us to be better than 64 points and 700 yards in two years. And his response was, quote, Watch this. We will be. I promise you we will be. And and Matt Park said, Steve, make a note of that. So I, I'm making a note of that on your show. We we didn't see the big offensive explosion between the fourth and sixth games this year, but we might see one in two years. There you go. Mark the tape, as they say, Steve. And, you know, Dino's a pretty confident guy in his ways of expressing these things without getting the details out there on that. So I'm glad that you brought that up. I'm glad you noted that. And, you know, we talked to Dino yesterday, of course, as we do every Thursday. And thanks for the call, as always, Steve. And, you know, Dino can be you know, very straight, very honest about a number of things. And I asked him about, you know, Zach Mahoney and Eric Dungy. And, the diff- you know, there's an obvious difference between the two. There's a reason one's the starter and one's the backup. And he was pretty honest about what Zach can do versus what Eric can do. So I'm, I'm going to pull up that clip, and we'll play it when we come back. We'll discuss a little bit more of the upcoming college football weekend. You're free to join the show, as Steve just did at 
7644 on the block is presented by Burdick Toyota. We'll be back after this. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. Happy Friday, everybody. Ready to do this? Ready to hit the weekend? Got a busy day tomorrow. Football right into hoops. So we'll continue to discuss those things. Uh, I mentioned before the break I wanted to play this clip. Uh, This is from uh, our conversation with Dino Babers on the show yesterday, and you can hear this entire conversation, our entire conversation with Coach Bayheim, all the interviews we do in the audio vault at ESPNSyracuse.com. And by the way, if you subscribe on iTunes, which you should do anyway, just hit iTunes, ESPN Syracuse, subscribe, you're done. We send you those interviews in iTunes as well, Jim Beheim and Dino Babers weekly. So Zach Mahoney, Eric Dungy, uh, what's the difference, Coach? We know the difference, but, you know, as I asked Dino yesterday on the show, and I didn't mean this by a talent standpoint, certainly Eric's the talented quarterback. Zach is the backup, but capable of running the offense. But can Zach do everything that Eric can in terms of knowing the offense, running plays, that sort of thing. Here's what uh, Coach Baber said about that. The right balance. So you got to be careful with guys like that. Now, in that sense, uh, Zach Mahoney really came in and did everything you would expect a backup quarterback to do. Do you feel like, certainly, you know, there's a reason Eric's the, the starter and, and Zach is the backup per se, but do you feel that Zach is at the point where he can do most everything Eric can do in the offense? No, there's a reason why one guy starts and the other guy doesn't. The, uh Eric is exceptional at a lot of things, and I think Zach is good at most things. Now, that being said, what impressed you most about what Zach did last week? Well, the way he moved the ball, in the, moved, moved the ball, and moved the team in the first half, and moved the ball around. I thought he was as efficient as he was in the first half. We had some mishaps in the second half, and that has to do with everybody. That is Dino Babers right here on the block, ESPN Radio, Syracuse. Yesterday, that entire interview is up at ESPN Syracuse. Dot com if you want to listen in. And, you know, these conversations with, were had not factoring in the weather. And the last time we saw Syracuse play in, I don't even want to say similar conditions, because you're comparing, when Syracuse went to Wake Forest last year, they were in the remnants of a hurricane. I mean, it was ugly. Ugly weather at Wake Forest. So they're saying tomorrow... Up to 50 mile per hour wind gusts, pardon me, driving rain, and it's just going to be windy. So that's why I wanted to play that Zach Mahoney clip because he doesn't have the arm strength, the mobility, or the you know really anything that Dungey does. We've seen Zach put up big numbers, but we have not seen Zach put up big numbers in a driving rainstorm. And your starting running back is questionable, so. The odds are stacking up against Syracuse, certainly. And there's that Lamar Jackson guy to deal with. Let's go back to the phones here at 437-7644. Shift gears to a little hoops talk. Pat in Syracuse on the block. Pat, what's happening, man? Are you cutting me short that I won't talk some pigskin? Oh, you can talk some pigskin. I I, I know you got those skills, man. No, I'm only just kidding. Um, because oh, no, no, come on. No, you can't do that. Now you got to talk football. Now, yeah, give me I'm a football looking forward take, to the football Pat. game. I mean, it would be great to to see him get these last two and you know build build on this good season that's just been a roller coaster ride. And you know the uh, the injuries have mounted up, and when a team doesn't have depth, just like the Giants, the SU uh, football orange obviously are, are suffering some some similar challenges. But you know, on, on to hoops. 
I first want to encourage anybody that has didn't watch the telecast of uh, Matt Park and Matt Rowe when they did the uh, ESPN, whatever it is, um, the ESPN 360 um, telecast of the Iona game. When when they had Mike Tirico on, on the telecast, gold. it was it was tremendous. It was gold. I mean, it was fantastic. Uh, you know, and, I, and Tirico couldn't help but start calling the game and kind of flowed in that conversation with those guys. It, it was terrific. Oh, and I recommend anybody that has the ESPN app, go go to the app. You just hit search Syracuse, hit, hit replay, and hit Iona. It's 24 minutes into the game. It's, it's incredible. I just, it makes you proud to be an SU fan. I mean, he talks about Newhouse and, you know, how it's the best communication school in the country, which isn't breaking news, but it's just so cool to hear Mike Tirico, you know, and, and he said something that, that I've, I've thought myself, and that is every time you walk in the Dome, no matter who the opponent is, it's the Dome. And, you know, I've been going there for 30 years. You've been going there for 30 years. He's been going there for 30 years. That's the thing that nobody can take away from us. And the one other thing I do want to say about the Dome, I, I like a lot of the updates that they've already made, but the one thing that a lot of people in my section and, and we've just been talking about is when they put those advertisements around the perimeter and they're like anything of a, of a lighter color, it makes it so hard to really watch the game. Like when it switches colors, you can see the court, and then it'll switch to like a bright color. It's terrible. Like I don't know if somebody needs to write something to Pete Saylor or what, but it, it is a big deal. I mean, you got to wear sunglasses in there to to to, to see the game. Look, I, I will say this, and he's going to be on the show next week. But email John Wildeck, uh, and I, I will say this: getting to know John a little bit, both on and off the air, and interviewing a few times. Pat, he reads his emails. And for the most part, we'll respond to these things. So, oh, and, and, I've, I've emailed him once, once before, and and he absolutely did respond. There you go. There's no doubt about so, it. So you know, um, you got. I don't know if they can fix that, like with a snap of a finger, but they want that kind of feedback. So you know, yeah, send them I, an email, and if you're out there listening, any of this stuff. Now, don't <laughs> don't abuse the privilege. You can't. Eat, well, my soda wasn't. Uh, there wasn't enough ice in my <laughs> soda. No, don't do that. But big issues like that that affect your game experience. Let them know. They'll, they'll at least listen to you. Yeah, or uh, sell sunglasses or something and then make make <laughs> some more revenue or something. I don't know. But, you know, just, just in terms of the X's and O's of this team, man, there's just there's something about this team. And, and they're even talking about Geno Thorpe and how he's not coming into his own. But his, his style of play, too, is he's a blue-collar player, too. And we haven't even seen him, like, you know, really go out there and hustle. We got a very blue-collar team that I can never remember having a team like this. And I'll just say this, Brent. Anytime you've got a big zone, Papa Bayheim is happy, and I, I think he's very happy with, with where he's at. It's going to be a work in progress, and let's just enjoy the run. Brent, have a great weekend. Pat, always great to hear from you. Enjoy the game tomorrow. Put out the Pat signal. This is a blue-collar team that's going to have to bust its tail for everything it gets, and I think that Iona game shows that. I think Merrick Doljai showed that, and he'll become a fan favorite quickly. Because he's got to overcome. Let's be positive now. He's got to overcome that he's skinny, but he can move. And you know what he makes, up, what he lacks in and weight, he makes up for in grit and hustle and determination. And Frank Howard logged forty minutes, and Geno Thorpe didn't have a great game the other night, as Beheim noted at the press conference. But he's going to be in the mix. They're going to play that three guard lineup. Barama, Sadai be down low. Busting his tail, going after rebounds. Better offensive player than I think maybe some anticipated. O'Shea Brissett, skilled offensive player, committed to rebounding. That's half the battle. You got to have a kid who wants to rebound, and he has 
mentioned a time or two how he, he works at it. It's it's a craft. It's a desire. Pascal Chukwu, I mean, keep him away from the free throw line when it counts, and he's not really going to put up 10 to 12 points a game. But when he's around the basket against teams that he will overmatch, and that's a lot when you're seven foot two, give him the ball near the hoop, we'll put it in. There's a lot of potential upside and all those, you know, buzzwords with this team. They just need time. They just need time to gel and figure each other out. They're going to have to make mistakes when they get to that stretch, which is next, not this upcoming Monday, but a week from Monday, 10 days from now. Maryland, Kansas, UConn. We're going to have to kind of take a deep breath and see how they absorb that. This is going to be a fun team to watch from the standpoint of they're going to bust their tail. Is the talent there? Yes. But is the potential matching that talent right now? Well, no, because it's very young in a season with a lot of new players. So we, I think, have to bite our lips a little bit, unless there's just some blatant thing that fans point out. That's what we do. But I think Pat made a great point in that, look, Jim is Jim, and he's he's going to coach the way he coaches, and he's very passionate on that sideline. But I think he kind of knows, too, like it's a young team that's just going to need some time. And you, you don't change the way you coach. You you adjust. And I and Jim even talked about it with us yesterday, the approach you have to take and what you do. And one thing that he has pushed, and it's a simple message, but you got to bust your tail. You bust your tail, good things will happen. And on that note, we will break. We'll do some hot takes coming up. If you'd like to chime in, 437-7644. Hit me on Twitter, Brent Axe Media, or the text line at 288-0644. Don't go anywhere. You're on the block. ESPN Radio. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Hey, we were just talking some uh, Syracuse hoops, of course. You know what today is, right, kids? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Jim Beheim. Happy birthday to you. That's right, James Arthur Beheim. It's his birthday, kids. What'd you think of that, by the way, Coach? Dumb. Oh, that's rude. Hit me with that fancy open. Hot take time, baby. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. (laughs) It's time for hot takes on the block. So this Jerry Jones, Roger Goodell thing is getting serious. There is an amazing uh, piece today, and they did another a great piece about a similar topic with Goodell and ownership and how there's a rift there a couple weeks ago, and, and lo and behold, they circle back again. Don Van Nata and Seth Wickerstam on ESPN.com for Outside the Lines. It's a long read, but well worth your time, and it chronicles how uh, Jerry Jones, see if I have the quote here, I'm going to come after you with everything I have, Jones said. Then mentioned Deflategate. If you think Bob Kraft came after you hard, Bob Kraft is a bleep compared to what I'm going to do. And the word he used is a P word that I cannot repeat on the radio. I'm going to read you a couple other parts of this article. That's the response, by the way, that Jerry Jones gave 
after Roger Goodell informed him of the Zeke Elliott suspension, and there was a big buildup to that because they had just seen each other at Jones Hall of Fame induction and all was well, and you know Roger knew they were going to suspend Zeke Elliott. And there's an NFL rule. You actually get a courtesy of 48 hours notice before these things happen. And, well, you know, as we've seen, Jerry Jones has been hell-bent to hold up everything with Goodell's contract extension. He's leaking stuff. He's doing everything he can to embarrass and discredit Roger Goodell. And he's failing because he's taken on the shield. He's taken on all the other owners and all the other owners starting to say, Jerry, okay, we get it, but you got to calm down. Like, Jerry thinks it is now in the mind frame that he can take on the whole league. And there's actually a a part of this story that goes like this. It is a well-sourced, well-researched, well-detailed story. This is some of the best sports journalism of the year. I'm going to read you part of this story. Few owners are interested in allowing Jones to essentially handpick the next commissioner. Even so, Jones has vowed, sources say, to make Adele's life miserable. Quote, Jerry's message to Roger was, I run this league. You better get with it, a senior league executive says. This is about power and control, not the contract. That's all white noise. Jerry Jones thinks he runs the league, and in a lot of ways he does. In a lot of business deals that he's made, the kind of alliance he has with other owners. I mean, Jones has a lot of power. That's what makes this so fascinating is who's going to come out of this on the other side. And as I have said, as much as you want to doubt, ridicule, criticize Roger Goodell, and in many ways you'd be right to do so, Jerry Jones will lose this argument. He will lose this fight. He will do everything he can and do everything in his power, as uh, he said there in some things we had to edit, to prevent that. But he will lose. He will lose this fight because I think the other owners are starting to see Jerry Jones a little crazy. Okay. In the letter that Jones sent out, by the way, Jones refers to, quote, several, uh, pardon me, severe threats of retaliation from fellow owners that, quote, demonstrate the dysfunction of the current process. Let's not forget that the owners voted 32 to nothing. Everybody approved this in May to authorize the compensation committee in the NFL, which is six owners. Which, by the way, they asked Jerry Jones to be on that panel. And Jerry Jones' response to that was, no, I want to be the ombudsman for the other owners and make sure this process goes the way it should. But they voted 32 nothing back in May to negotiate to conclusion a new five-year extension with Roger Goodell, which he will get. But Jerry Jones is hell-bent to take him down. That's hot. In the process. And in the... Headline of this article, and this is not clickbait, this is not somebody, you know, well, you better read this because look at our fancy headline. It is an accurate description of what seems to be happening behind the scenes, and that is this headline, NFL teeters on all-out unprecedented civil war. That sounds like a strong headline, but it's getting, I mean, read this thing. We get a real window into what it's like in these meetings and quotes and details from You know, I mean, again, I could spend the whole show on this. What Jerry Jones said at midnight, you know, at a hotel bar when he was informed of the Zeke Elliott situation. And it's like, there is a fine line between 
insanity and genius, and Jerry Jones has got one foot on each side of that line right now. It's incredible. It's incredible to see. That's hot. And it's incredible to see the ego and the greed, and it, it, it will never cease to amaze me. On this note, and then I'll move on to a couple other things, including what John Wildhack said about the one-and-done rule, which apparently is on its last rights. It will never cease to amaze me the amount of ego in both professional and college sports, the amount of just bravado, the amount of, I mean, these are grown men, you would think, with millions, and in this case, billions of dollars. And the way that they do their business and what they get hell-bent for revenge on, it's it's high school cafeteria stuff. You said this about me. You did this about I mean, it's everything you needed to know you learned in kindergarten, it's more like middle school. This is like middle school BS, but now there's billions of dollars going back and forth. Never, I, I will I will repeat this until they do not let me repeat this anymore. Never, ever underestimate the ego of people in sports. It's incredible. Okay. So about that one and done rule, Adrian Wojnarowski, ESPN, is reporting that Adam Silver and the NBA executive director of the Players Association, Michelle Roberts, met yesterday to discuss issues facing the basketball industry, including the changing dynamics of the NBA draft and the one-and-done rule. They also met with this, there's this new committee that was formed by Condoleezza Rice. Remember this? When the whole FBI thing happened and they put this committee together to kind of overlook the whole sport. They were at that meeting too. Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, has made it abundantly clear, saying, and I quote on Mike and Mike last month, that the one-and-done rule is clearly not working for the college game. I've got thoughts on Mike and Mike coming, too, here, speaking of them, and today being their last day. So Adam Silver wants it gone, and I think we've got to remember this. People point at college basketball, and they bellyache about the one-and-done rule, and whether you like it or you don't like it. The thing is, it's an NBA rule. It's in their collective bargaining agreement. It's not a college rule. It's just people taking advantage and gaming the system to their advantage in college. And John Calipari is the one people point at as the primary example of that, but everybody does it, right? So if you didn't get a chance to listen to this, I talked to John Wildhack about this last week, and I don't have the audio here, but here's what John Wildhack told me about this, quote, because we got on the subject of, okay, we got all this heavy stuff going on in college basketball, the FBI investigation, and it kind of whittled into the one-and-done rule. Here's what John Wildhack said, quote, My personal opinion, I am in favor of that as well, noting that Adam Silver wants to abolish the rule. If a young person coming out of high school wants to pursue basketball, whether it's the NBA, the G League, or international, they should have the ability to do that. I think if you go to college, there should be a minimum commitment that goes beyond a year. I think that would help the college game, and I think it would help the NBA game. The NBA game would get a better player. If you've had a couple of years of college, you'll be better prepared physically and mentally to play in the NBA. So it's the support is there. They don't have to lobby people on this. The decision makers that can make it happen want to see it happen. Silver, Michelle Roberts is apparently in favor of it, and this new college commission, so now what has to happen is it has to be collectively bargained between the players and the union. Now, is the union going to go for this? Because that means you've got, you go back to, okay, you're 18 years old. 
you are in that one-and-done realm. You're a player that can go right from high school to the NBA. The problem is there's a lot of players that think they can do that and then find out, ooh, I wasn't that good. I didn't get drafted. The obvious ones stand out, the LeBron James of the world, the Carmelo Anthony's of the world who came here, but the guys that can do, Kevin Garnett, but there's a reason those names rattle off the tongue because we remember them because they're just that good. They stand out that much. But I'm getting to the point, look, making a kid go to college for a year when we all know why he's here, while that's the system and if that's the rules you've been handed, you're going to take advantage of those rules. As John Calipari has, as Jim Beheim has, as Mike Krzyzewski has, every major coach has done. If there is a minimum, whatever that minimum is, two years in college, 20 years old, wherever they draw the line, it does require a commitment. It does require you to say, all right, well, now I'm in. It's not just I'm going to you know, hang out for a semester, make sure I'm eligible for the spring, and then see you later. Now, Syracuse... The only one-and-dones we've seen here are, of course, Carmelo Anthony, Dante Green, Tyler Ennis, Chris McCullough. That's a good mix. Uh, Malachi Richardson last year as well. So that's just five players. Carmelo speaks for himself. Dante Green had a nice career, made some nice money, played professional basketball for a while. Tyler Ennis is still in the league. Chris McCullough is still in the league. Malachi Richardson still in the league. Whatever you measure success by there is... I'll kind of let you figure that out for yourself. I mean, success to me is played the league for eight to ten years, made a lot of money, and you were a professional basketball player for a while. I don't make the standard Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony is, you know, he's the unicorn. He's like one of the ultimate examples of somebody that can come to college for a year, win a national championship, and then go on to a, you know, near Hall of Fame career in the NBA, right? So I wanted to bring this up. It kind of came and went today. Sometimes these things don't get as much attention as I think they will, and it kind of reminded me that I just talked to Wild Hack about this last week. We're going to have him on the show again Tuesday, by the way. A little note for next week. The one-and-done rule's dead. It's just a matter of can Adam Silver work this the right way and get the union to come around to his line of thinking, and That's hot. there's no reason to doubt that at this point. Now, I brought up Mike and Mike, and I just wanted to you know, kind of take a moment here. If you're not aware, I'm sure many of you are, particularly if you listen to this radio station, but today was the last day for Mike and Mike in the morning, a run that started in January of 2000, and by the way, coincides nicely with the Buffalo Bills playoff drought. So maybe they were the problem. I used to like you, Greenberg and Golick, but you're the reason the Bills didn't make the playoffs. I'm kidding. Mike and Mike are legends. They are titans of this industry. They will forever go down, not just as one of the great teams in sports talk radio history, that is obvious, in the history of the medium itself. Mike and Mike set the standard. Mike and Mike every morning. And some people didn't like Mike and Mike because they weren't controversial enough, that their takes weren't hot enough. That's hot. Exactly. They were milk toast. that it was just kind of formatic. And I'm here to tell you, that's what they did best. Mike and Mike were consistent. You know what? It's 6.30 in the morning. I don't want somebody yelling at me. I don't need Stephen A. Smith hot takes at 7 in the morning. Mike and Mike did the perfect job of here's what happened. Here's what we think about it. Now let's get some guests on and take you through your morning. It was the perfect morning commute show. 
It evolved for television. It evolved for the modern era. And I think you're going to find, I wish Mike Golick and Trey Wingle all the luck in the world. And I will listen, and we're going to have that show here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. We were spoiled to have those two together as long as we did. I mean, 17 years in radio is incredible. We're going to find out just how much of a pro Greenberg was and how Golick's going to have to make that adjustment. I think he'll work well with Trey, and I like Trey Wingo, but what Mike and Mike did is incredible, and I was a big fan of that show. I think ESPN found the perfect way to do that show. That's how you do, to me, a sports show in the morning. Now, that's my particular taste. Nobody ever agrees on these things. Nobody goes to a restaurant and orders the same exact thing. But you look around in morning radio, particularly in sports, and I'm not going to name any names here, but I study this business closely. I follow a ton of sports talk radio stations, and you know, I, I work in the industry. I'm kind of a geek for it. There are shows that do things differently. I will not name by name, but shows in Boston, for example, that love to be controversial and very hot takey and attack people. And it's, you know, they found an audience that soaks it up and good for them. There are shows that do things differently. I like the fact that Mike and Mike did it their way, did it in a, and I don't want to sound like a, you know, a prude here, but I never had to worry about having my kid in the car with Mike and Mike. I never had to worry about, you know, getting up and listening to that show and being just knocked off a perch of some sort. I wanted that. That's the kind of show I wanted to listen to. If you like zany morning radio shows and, you know, you got options, right? That's not me. What they did was amazing. And to go 17 years, and I wish him all the luck because Mike's got his own TV show now. Uh, Greenberg, Golick will remain. Love him or hate him, to be able to do what they did for 18 years. Respect. Props to those guys. What an amazing run. And they, I mean, they're titans. They are titans of the sports talk radio industry. That's the word that comes to mind. So best of luck to them. We loved having them here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. I think I can speak for everybody in saying that. And I'm, I'm as curious as anybody how it's going to go. ESPN Radio made a bunch of changes today, by the way, if you really want to geek out and talk about that, which you probably don't. Thank you. Bye-bye.